Welcome to Better Food Stories, a show that celebrates real food and the people and companies who make it. I'm Audrea Greenhoff, and in this interview series, I'm sitting down with the entrepreneurs behind some of today's newest and most innovative food brands out there to find out what it really takes to make it in this highly competitive space. Hey guys, welcome to the Better Food Stories podcast. I'm your host, Audrea Greenhoff. Thank you, thank you for joining me for episode 19 of this interview series. If you're here for the first time, welcome. This podcast is all about celebrating today's change makers in the food industry, and I have a great interview for you today. When it comes to starting a business, it isn't always about inventing something completely different. In fact, some of today's most successful brands have built empires because they found an opportunity to take something that already existed and make it just a little better. Now that's exactly what happened for Eugene Kang, the co-founder of Country Archer Jerky Company. This opportunity presented itself on a trip to the Grand Canyon and 155 employees and 25,000 stores later, I'd say Eugene was definitely on to something when he tasted this jerky that he said, quote unquote, it was the most mouth-wateringly delicious jerky I ever had. In my interview with Eugene, you'll learn how he helped scale Country Archer into one of the biggest artisan beef jerky companies on the market, how he and his business partner were able to build a brand identity that spans across age demographics and lifestyles, and what initially inspired Eugene to start his own business. He also shares his advice for new entrepreneurs. We talk shop about a lot of different things. It was a great interview. Eugene is a really cool guy. And this brand story is just really great as well. So I hope you like this interview. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Eugene Kang, co-founder of Country Archer Jerky Company. Eugene, welcome to the Better Food Stories podcast. Um, I am so excited for this call because not only am I a fan of of Country Archer as a brand, I know that you have an incredible backstory that I am really looking forward to diving into. (laughs) Thank you for having me on the podcast today. Uh, First, for anyone who might not be familiar with Country Archer, why don't you introduce yourself and tell our listeners um, exactly what this brand is all about? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a heritage-based brand that I actually did not start. It's been around in existence here in SoCal for over 30-plus years. It started in 1977. It was started by a a butcher by trade. His name was uh, Celestino Charlie Marachi. Um, He actually was making jerky as kind of like a hobby out of his butcher shop and selling it over the counter. And it really started gaining uh, somewhat of a cult-like following here in Southern California. That quickly escalated into him essentially private labeling the product for what I like to call small mom and pop stores. So if you wanted to start Eugene's jerky shop on the roadside to the Grand Canyons or to the mountains or any sort of national sort of theme, like national park, uh, this man was essentially private labeling for all these small little roadside stands. My partner and I actually stumbled upon it in 2011 um, on, on a road trip up to the Grand Canyon actually. And we, we came across this tiny little shack, brought the, bought the product and tried it. And we thought, wow, this is really phenomenal jerky. Why are they not scaling this product? What are they, 
what's her what's her whole story? So we actually tracked down the owner down. Um, turns out he was pushing eighty years old, no retirement, no succession plan, um, and never really focused on the brand. You know, the brand was not really a focus for him. It was just you know for him it was much easier to call it you know um, Eugene's Jerky on the side of a roadside stand. So we bought the company out in two thousand eleven with the understanding that we wanted to essentially scale and and give this brand national presence. So uh, started in 2011, really you know, sort of apprenticing under him as a butcher and understanding how jerky is really made. Uh, and then from 2013 onwards, we really just really just distributed and scaled the brand, not only nationally, but also production-wise. Uh, you can now find us in over 25,000 retailers in the country, uh, more notably Whole Foods, Starbucks, Kroger, Meyer, Costco, um, and even so- certain Target and Walmart stores. Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, Starbucks was actually where I discovered you um, for the first time. I like jerky when I travel. It's usually something that I pick up when I take on airplanes um, because I think it's a good snack to have, you know, on flights. So I found you guys at Starbucks. That's incredible that you guys are at 25,000 stores. Um, If I did my research correctly, I read that you sold over 7 million units in 2017 alone, which is I would say a long way since 2011 when you first got started. Tell me about what was the first thing you did once you decided that you wanted to acquire uh, this company and scale it. How did you go about doing that at first? You know, that's it's an interesting um, question. You know, I think first, you know, we were a little young and naive, and you know, we thought we like we had essentially we discovered this phenomenal product. Right, and we thought, well, why isn't this? You know, we looked at the the lay of the land, and we went to like a local convenience store. And you know, my family's background has been convenience store, so you immediately look there and you go, well, why isn't there better jerky in the marketplace? I just don't understand that. So I think naively, we, my partner and I, went into this thinking, well, we're just going to put this in every retailer in America, and they're just going to accept this, right? Because it's so awesome. (laughs) Um, And and that's simply not the case. So we really had to. You know, hire a great design agency and create. We essentially had to give the the, the brand new life because the brand never existed. So I think it really started with you know we had a good product. We needed to make sure the messaging was good to the consumer. So we started that. We started with designing a really beautiful package, um, and then taking that package and, and going to retailers. And you know that's the first thing you come across is the retailer saying, "This is cool, but uh, not not interested. We're we're okay. We're we're comfortable what we got." And that was. I think sort of devastating for us in 2013 and 12, 12, 2012 and 13 was when we were getting rejected by retailers and we thought, okay, we need to figure out how to get our product in the shop because this is not working by just being naive about it. And uh, I think that's kind of what got us to that next inflection point. Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned the you know brand identity. You guys do an incredible job on social media and um, – you know, just with your imagery and the language that you use, talk to me about your core brand story and how that um, kind of trickled into everything from your packaging to your taglines and everything that you're doing on social. It's a good question. You know, I think, you know, it kind of goes back to the roots of how we founded the company. We found it on a road trip to Grand Canyon. It's a little bit adventurous. It's a little bit of an outdoorsy type of theme. Um, and sure enough, you know, the company itself, you know, you know, most people have not heard of the brand, but it's, it had its own little cult like following here in the Inland Empire of Southern California. And, 
it just it just made sense. We really took the heritage side of it. We took the adventurous outdoor side of it. And we kind of married the two names because you know initially when we started when we bought the company, we we were kind of conflicted. We didn't know if we should launch the brand name to be Country Archer or should we come up with something more sort of modern and that made sense. But as it just kind of over time, it just kind of clicked that Country Archer is is this marriage between the heritage brand that Charlie started. Um, it's got this rich history of uh, understanding how meat snacks was being made and this new age, you know, these two founders, two co-founders that have founded it on a roadside stand and brought that adventurous, cheeky, sort of millennial lifestyle, kind of married the two. So you get a good blend of both, I think, in our brand. You get the, the heritage sort of rustic look, but you also get the cheeky copyrights on the bag that kind of showcases the, the personality that we have in our company, that we're all just a bunch of young, hungry, eager, uh, you know, millennials or Gen Xers that want to just disrupt the jerky market, essentially. Yeah. You guys also pride yourself um, in being minimally processed, using grass-fed beef, which is something that we're seeing more and more in the industry right now. Is this, um, has the recipe changed at all since uh, the original uh, brand was in place? And how are you coming up with new flavors and different product offerings? Great question. So, you know, the product itself from a formulation has been the same, uh, tried and true, all the way from the very beginning. Uh, what we have done is over time, we've, uh, we've upped the ante. And what I mean by that is we've actually, you know, we believe in, you know, obviously the better for you ingredients. We're in the better for you market. So one of the things we've done is we've sourced organic ingredients where we can scale. Now, I, I can say this, that we're not 100% organic in our products. It's, it's really hard to, uh, to scale 100% organic beef jerky. But what we've done is we've done we've scaled, we sourced organic ingredients where it would make sense and where we can scale. So for example, you know, we use a, uh, instead of using a conventional brown sugar, we use an organic brown sugar. But now that's not to say that the previous regime uh, with Charlie and the formulas, it was the same formulations. All we've done is we've replaced ingredients where we can to be organic. But prior to that, there was nothing non-natural about the, the formulations. It was still a very much a uh, natural product. It was marinated and cut in a very artisanal way. So all we've done is improve the ingredient sourcing over time, um, and that kind of kind of highlights to sort of our branding to some degree because we've always took we've always likened ourselves to be the Sam Adams of beef jerky. At the end of the day, we wanted to be that modern brand that had a little bit of heritage still installed in it and that could keep up with the rising consumer trends. And to your second question about how do we think about formulations, it's, it's very simple. We, because we own our own facility, our production facility, um, we are truly a vertically integrated craft meat snack company. We love exploring flavors. Because we source ingredients ourselves, you know, these ingredients come through our back door, we actually like to explore flavors. Like, for example, we launched you know, two phenomenal flavors last year. It was hatched chili beef jerky and you know, rosemary citrus uh, turkey jerky. And I got to say, they're fantastic products. And one of the reasons why they're fantastic is we source true ingredients and all natural ingredients that, that highlight the flavor. And we're not just using some kind of seasoning or, or fake ingredients to sort of achieve those flavor profiles. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the citrus rosemary turkey jerky. I like the the uh, hickory smoked one that you guys have too. But, the, but <laughs> yeah. my favorite, I think of all of them are the turkey jerkies. I'm a huge, huge fan. Yeah. No, they're, and they've actually, 
And they're quite popular with, I think, the female consumer group, which is which is really interesting. We see a lot of uh, female uh, consumers attract or sort of sort of gravitate towards the turkey products. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. How have you found? Um, has your customer base changed at all? Like, I know we're in this really. Um, you know, wave of paleo and keto and people, um, you know, eating predominantly um, meats and, and lowering their carb intake. Have you, has that um, affected your customer base? Has it changed the demographic at all? No, as a matter of fact, I think what the keto, these dietary trends have done is that actually is cast a wider net to incorporate more consumers in. So I would say like, for example, the, you know, the prototypical Gen Xer who maybe wasn't a diet fiend is now adopting Whole30, Keto, or Paleo. And the first thing they're going to do is they're going to look for sort of those compliant uh, snacks that, you know, fit that or check that box. And I think what we've actually done is rather than being a millennial-focused company, we've actually casted a wider net. And, and that's all largely due to the, these dietary trends that have helped us, I think, from that perspective. Yeah, that's interesting. If you take a look at the food industry today, um, and we talked this, we talked about this a little bit when we first got on the call. I think that there has been so many more brands like yours and people who are just focusing more on better for you and real food, um, and consumers have been becoming more and more interested in transparency and knowing where their food is coming from. Do you, what do you think is the most exciting part of being in today's food industry and where do you think there's still uh, challenges? I think disruption. Disruption has been, you know, I think for the longest time we have seen Silicon Valley and tech industry truly, truly put the world upside down as far as disrupting media companies or, 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 or taxi services, etc. What's really fascinating for me in our industry right now is that we are truly in a, in a new movement. And that movement really is better for you products and people actually giving a damn about not only their body and their health, but also caring about the environment and what kind of ingredients we're sourcing, who we're sourcing it from. And I think that's, I think that's just been incredible to experience myself because, you know, when we got into this business, we never suspected that we would be riding that moment or that movement with it. You know, we, we just thought, you know, why are we putting, you know, my partner and I just were so sick and tired of eating the stale old chemically induced gas station jerky. You know, it was very clear they had MSG and nitrites in it and, and we just couldn't understand it. So, you know, from the very genesis, our, our intentions was really pure. We just wanted to provide a really delicious natural product. But what we did not suspect was this movement, and this movement has truly taken a life in itself, and, and, and now you're seeing it across all categories. So I think what's really been really fun is, is seeing disruption, and because disruption is inevitably leading to this, you know, a lot of growth, you're seeing innovation, innovation that might not have been in the food and beverage industry had it not been for this movement, I think. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your story to entrepreneurship. Um, you're a child of immigrants, as am I. My parents are actually from Cuba, and I was born in Southern California, which I know is where you grew up. Oh, um, nice. What part? Yeah, um, in L.A., in the Mission Hills area. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. so um, I know that um, your, your parents are from South Korea. So talk to me about your childhood and what was it like growing up, and 
What did you want to be when you grew up? Did Was entrepreneurship always on your mind or did you have other aspirations as a kid? <laughs> you know, I like to say, you know, first of all, shout out to my parents. They have been very supportive of my journey here. Um, probably in the beginning, they probably weren't so supportive just given that, you know, be, you know, like your parents or my parents are immigrants. So they came here with literally no money in their pockets and, and they've really struggled to make ends meet. But the first thing they wanted to do is see their kids go off and, and do a white collar job. You graduate from a good school, Absolutely. maybe go to grad school and then, you know, take a high powered corporate job. You know, I, you know, growing up, I think childhood wise, you know, my parents, they were just entrepreneurs from the beginning, you know, and I think when you're an immigrant, you have to come in here and you have to figure out how to survive. And if English isn't your first language, you just go out and figure out how to put food on the table. And, and their first instinct was to go open up retail stores. So, you know, growing up, it was interesting. I, I knew how to, you know, ring the register when I was about like six years old. So <laughs> it was kind of a, it's an interesting childhood. You know, my dad would sometimes sit back and, you know, stock some of the shelves or vice versa. I would stock the shelves and I would ring up the customers at the, at the register level. Uh, um, it's funny anecdote. I remember one time this one, this one, you know, older lady came by and she wanted to buy lotto tickets. And I remember I was opening them up and I was trying to ring her up and she got really snappy. At, and I mean, <laughs> you know, you shouldn't be ringing this up. And my dad quickly came over and said, Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And, and I never understood that. But anyway, that's a funny little sidebar story. Awesome. But yeah, growing up, it was very much elbow grease. The mentality was, you know, this is what puts food on the table. You need to come out and help, help on the store when you have time and it's, it was usually the weekends, you know, or, or right after school, you come, you go to the store after school and do your homework and then you help around the store and you, you go home with them at night and then you go to see what you do it all over again. So I think growing up in that environment really gave me sort of exposure to, to be an entrepreneur. I mean, at the end of the day, my parents never had an answer to anyone. They were somewhat in control of their own destiny and that just seemed something that was very appealing to me even at an early age yeah and I love that you mentioned you know education is huge and college which was huge I think I had a similar experience and when I uh, started studying journalism I think my parents kind of were weary about it they were like well maybe you should choose something else where you're gonna make more money you know so that was always, <laughs> that was always a big um you know thing that they talked about so you actually started this business when you were 22 so how did they handle it at first when you told them that you wanted to start a business so young oh I mean I think they knew the writing was on the wall I mean yeah. you know to be completely honest you know they they weren't overly surprised. You know, I was going to school, but, you know, I was, you know, I don't necessarily think I was the worst student, but I was, I was probably up there as far as being a bad student. You know, I just, just was disinterested in the classes and the courses. And I just, some reason just didn't have any fire in my belly on, on what I want to do in my life. And, you know, it really was my partner who, you know, and I, when we took this trip <clears throat> and we discovered the product, it was, it just like the light bulbs went off and we both looked at each other and we're going, this is something we got to do. And then I, I quickly went to my parents and I said, listen, you could keep, you know, paying for my tuition to help me out and see me through. But I just think that this is going to be a wasted amount of, I mean, it's going to be a waste of your guys' resources. So can you guys just give me a loan? I'm not asking you to just give me a loan. I'm going to make this thing work and I'll pay you back. And, you know, obviously it took some time for me to pay them back. But, yeah. 
um, you know, funny anecdote about that. I'll, I'll tell you this funny story is that when years later, when it, when it came down, you know, the company started growing and it came down to pay back my parents. I went back to my parents and sure enough, classic entrepreneur fashion. I went to my father. I said, Hey, so you know, that initial loan you gave me, here you go. Here's the check. And he looks at me and he, he goes, yeah, let's swap it for equity. I think I deserve equity in a company now, not, not the check. I don't need the cash. Give me the equity. And I go, okay, sure, fair enough. Smart man. Absolutely. Definitely a mind of a businessman for sure. I love that. That's so cool. What advice would you give? Um, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show are entrepreneurs or have aspirations of starting their own business what advice would you give to a young person who might have an idea and is starting to think about maybe starting their own business good question um you know and i can't take credit for this i've heard this from several other great entrepreneurial leaders in the in the business community myself and it it's something that i'm i'm proud of holding on to it's it's not being the smartest person in the room um I think that's absolutely critical to have a successful organization and to be a successful entrepreneur. You know, at the end of the day, I think sometimes you need to go with your gut and you need to make some quick, quick, rapid fire decisions. But at the end of the day, you know, you need to surround yourself with enough smart advisors and people that you can sponge up as much information and then make a better calculated decision. I think too often there's a sense of ego that you know, drives entrepreneurs to not only be entrepreneurs, but to the point where they might not make the most rational decisions. And I think sure. that just goes back to having yourself, just surround yourself with, you know, just the best advisors possible. If you're, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're probably hanging out in the wrong room is yeah. my, is my thing. Oh, such good advice. Yeah, that's so true. Well, this has been a blast. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Before we wrap things up, um, I kind of go through these fun, rapid-fire style questions with my guests. Are you up for that? Sure, absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so number one, what is your favorite day of the week and why? Mondays. Um, it's just, it, it honestly sets the tone for me for the rest of the week, you know, if you come in groggy from a, from a weekend, et cetera. Mondays just, it, it's, you know, to a lot of people out there, Mondays are the slow days. They're just going to get in the week's end. I, I actually believe it's setting the tone from the beginning. So, you know, when you're coming back from a break, you're, you're charged up and you're ready to go and you're fired up and you're firing all centers. And it just, just sets the tone for the rest of the week. So that's my favorite day. I love that. Number two, what's the last TV show or movie that you watched? Oh boy! Okay, last TV show that I watched was—I believe it or not—I'm I'm watching that Netflix show, um, Maria Kondo, uh, the tidying up. <laughs> yes, I've seen. I'm like halfway through. What are your thoughts? <laughs> It's—it's it's interesting. I, yeah. I actually—I did. So I'm personally not a hoarder myself. So, um, but I just think that for me, it's what's really fascinating about it was it's not so much the show. But just the virality of, 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 of her show and her personal brand and how Netflix rolled it out in a sequence that really went under the radar, but it caught fire. I just, just the overall like, execution of that show is just very fascinating to me. And I just think it's, it's, just, it's just really interesting. So. Yeah, I would agree. I think from like a branding perspective, it's interesting that she's blown up so much. I read her book 
a few years ago. I think there's definitely some practical advice, but a lot of it, I don't know, for me was a, a little bit rigid. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's fascinating to see how much she's totally blown up. It's interesting. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's what's really fascinating. Because like, and I see, so I wasn't familiar with the book. That's what's really interesting for me. And so, you know, for I, I just think this, the execution and the marketing rollout is 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 hopefully something that even you know a guy like myself as an entrepreneur, I I, I love to study. I love to just understand. I'm, I'm a big student of the game um, in any form of marketing, and I just think it's fascinating how they roll that out. So, have you found yourself doing any organization after watching the show? <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately. I think everything that I touch sparks joy, so I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay, number three. If you could only eat three foods for the rest of your life, what would they be? Oh, that's, I mean, that's pretty simple. A, a ribeye steak, sushi, and kimchi. I love it. And number four, what's one thing most people would never guess about you? Um. My age, believe it or not, um, you know, being a, a young um, entrepreneur in this space that's been pretty heavily dominated, but it's, it's an older sort of old guard uh, industry. Um, I often find I often find it uh, interesting when people guess my age and, and then they guess a lot higher than what I think it should be. So I always find that fascinating. That's interesting. And finally, yeah. if people want to learn more about you and Country Archer, where should they go? Absolutely. They can go to www.countryarcher.com um, or they can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Country Archer. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you want to check out more interviews in the Better Food Stories series, you can follow me at Audrea Greenhoff on Medium or visit AudreaGreenhoff.com. I'm also Audrea Greenhoff on Twitter and Instagram.